to another edition of the EDBC podcast. Eric Dobratz and Brian Coleman doing a little bit of a different thing today, a little special pod Brian set up for us. We got the author Tyler Dunn, The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. Brian, tell me about this uh, interview you you uh, put together for us. Yeah, I've uh, been following Tyler Dunn a little bit on the Twitter and social media. He's a writer. He's written. Uh, he's been a football writer uh, for a couple of big newspapers around the country. Uh, Syracuse guy. Uh, no shortage of those um, around, especially in sports media, but uh, really enjoy. Com, right? That's his big thing. Yeah, golongtd.com is where he's at now. He's got his own website going on. If you're a football fan, a lot of cool stuff there. And he wrote a book about the tight ends, uh, not just current tight ends in the NFL, but just the evolution of the tight end positions at, position as a whole in football. And I love, I love the tight end. I mean, I love tight ends. I mean, those are some of my favorite players have been tight ends so i thought that was a cool book i read the book great book and i think if you're a football fan you'll enjoy it because it's not just telling you what you know what tight ends do which is a lot i mean they yeah. they run they hit they block gives you the history of the position great history of the, the way the tight end has sort of mirrored the growth of the nfl and professional football as a whole and so yeah that we wanted to and we he talked happy. to everyone he talked to he everyone. talked to everyone and he, he was grateful enough to give us a few minutes yeah, so hey, listen, anything to put our uh take our mind off of the baseball season, which is right? Uh, I think the baseball is that still going on? Yeah, exactly. So all right, without further ado, Tyler Dunn, author of the Blood and Guts, How the Tight End Saved Football. Here he is on the EDBC podcast. Well, first and foremost, Tyler, what made you decide to write this book? You know, I, I've always wanted to write a book. I just didn't know what it was gonna be about. You know, I've written features, um, you know, for a long time now, you know, back to college, uh, Syracuse to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Buffalo News, Bleacher Report, uh, now at Go Long, my, my site. We just, you know, I, I really focus it on that long form. So, you know, friends and family are always kind of like, hey, you should you should do a book. And I, I just like, you know, I'm not really inspired. I haven't had that, that urge to just like throw myself at a topic every day, every second of every day for a year or two. Um, and then I just got to thinking, okay, I love football. I, I played my whole life, you know, growing up and I've watched it my whole life. And I just, um, you know, what, what is the best way to tell the story of the sport itself? Is it through a specific player, a team, a coach, an era? And the more I kind of wrap my head around it, the more it's so obvious that the tight end position really it, it encompasses everything that we love about the sport. You you have to do everything. You have to live in the trenches. You have to detach from those trenches, make it play downfield. There's a physical toughness involved. There's athleticism involved. There's the more mental toughness that anybody realizes in terms of 80,000 screaming down at you on, on third and long with a season on the line to millions at home to, and it's, I'm sure we'll get into a lot of these guys mentally were pushed to their breaking point at some point in their lives and had to, look at the man in the mirror and overcome that intelligence next to the quarterback. Nobody on offense has to know more than the tight end. I mean, you're involved with run blocking, pass protection, um, the passing concepts. So, all right, all right. The tight end position, it, it, it's the sport to still down the one position. Now how, what's the book then? And that's when I became a little disillusioned, disillusioned with the overcorrection, the flags, the fines, mm-hmm. the league, just ignoring the fact that there is an inherent risk to football that's why we watch these. These are gladiators like in a profession that we can't even wrap our heads around. You know, they're, they're hitting each other at these impossible angles. They're getting into fights at training camp. I mean, there isn't a job out there where you just fight your coworkers every day. Um, so, off. 
yeah. It's, it's just different, right? And so I yeah. there, yeah, some of that was sprinkled into the reason for doing this book. Like I'm a little pissed off at where it's going. So is this position that is the game itself capable of saving the reason that we kind of watch subconsciously or consciously? Um, so yeah, from there I just traveled around the country uh to hang out with the best tight ends ever, and it took on a life of its own, honestly. Yeah, and that's you make a great uh, point about just the evolution of the sport. I don't think outside the quarterback, which is obvious, we're now such a quarterback heavy league, even as it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. You know, you start with Ditka and the it's part of, you know, it's basically the first chapter of the book and then you move on, I think, chrono- chronologically, you know, uh, into the, the more recent years. But just the tight end has evolved. You're right in terms of being almost back in the day, it was created as almost a sixth lineman. And just, you know, stay out of the way of the other guys on the offense and help block to now you're the most visible part. And some play like a Travis Kelsey, you're the most dangerous guy on the field for a white for an offense that scores 35 points a game. So I, you know, that's what I and I just love the tight end position to begin with as a football fan. I just I'm fascinated by it. So I thought that was just I, that the way you did, sort of made that be like the focal point of how football is growing. I thought it was great. Um, is that the way you saw it? Thanks, man. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's a little bit of everything. You can't just be a one trick pony. Like <laughs> it's a little rough around the edges. I, I I talked to Lee Smith. He's not in the book actually. I read a Q and A at my site. We're talking about the position. That I love how he said, um, "Yeah, the the wide receiver. If it's not third down, he can just kind of stand out there with his thumb up his ass. Like he doesn't have to do anything." <laughs> Sometimes they do. You can tell. Right, right. He's like the tight end. You can't do that. Like it's. You are involved one way or another. Now, I get it today. Some tight ends, you know, they might just be kind of on the backside blocking. But if you're a true tight end that is a complete tight end that is involved in the run game and the pass game, you can't really take a playoff. So, the, but the, the evolution of it is what's fascinating. I think that's what kind of took the tight end to just new heights is like you go from the inception, Mike Dicka, John Mackey, um, but before them, it was like you said, it's just a sixth lineman. You're just kind of falling down after you catch a short pass. If you even catch a short pass to today, like the the evolution of how we got to that point to today, it's, it's remarkable. And I think honestly, that's, that's kind of why I came back to tight ends over like a book on the lineman. Like if you want to do real football, you'd say, well, why not the lineman? Well, if you have a good game as an, as an offensive guard, nobody's talking about you for three hours. Like yeah. the, the tight end, you, you still have to do something down the field and you've got that spotlight on you. In addition to all that groundwork. Talk about the timing of the book. You're doing it during, I mean, we're coming out of a pandemic and you mentioned you went to go see a lot of these guys. Just talked about the logistics of doing that in the time we're living in right now. That might not, that's probably not easy, right? Yeah. So it was, it was right out of the pandemic, thankfully. So the world was, was opening up with travel and stuff. I think we still had to wear the mask on the airplane and all that jazz, but you know, what was crazy is, uh, we, we have two kids. You, you might hear Sonny crying in the background at some mm-hmm. point. Uh, so he was born late July, right around the time I signed the contract for the book. And we already had Ella, our, our two-year-old, soon-to-be three-year-old daughter. So it was crazy at the Dunn household. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, hey, honey, we'll see. I'm going to go hang out with Mike Dick and throw a drink back with Jeremy Shockey. But it was a, she was amazing. That's, you know, you, a project like this doesn't happen if you don't have that support at home, but to do it right, I didn't want to just talk to these guys on the phone. I didn't want to just like zoom here and there. I wanted to get into their worlds, like face to face. Let's let's hear the old war stories. Let's hear about that evolution. Let's hear how 
what you do is football itself. And they were receptive as well. I mean, some of the details, just meeting them in person struck me, you know, whether it's uh, someone needing a walker, Mike Ditka, you talked about someone putting a dip in when you're getting ready to talk to him, Jeremy Shockey hitting his hand. Yeah. And those details really came through the page. Just talk about that and just how you, that's a great writer. You observe things going around you during the interview, right? I appreciate that. That Thanks so much. Yeah, you have to, it's uh, you know, like Ben Coates, right. He's inside oh. his home in, in North Carolina and he's, he's hurting. Yeah. You don't really, I don't think I would have been able to understand what the position in the game did to Ben Coates if I'm not there with him. And, and he's telling me, look, those stairs over there that are literally 10 steps away. I can't walk up those stairs in my own home. And, you know, I, I'm outside of my front lawn, just, you know, walking around and I tear a ligament in my knee. It's uh, yeah, it definitely takes being there. And I think guys are just going to be more open if, if they see who you are as a person I, in the job. I never try to do interviews and look at these um, players as, as players or sources. It's you're having conversations with human beings. And I, I just wanted to kind of throw myself into Jeremy Shockey's world in Miami beach where he walks into the bar and just storms right to a stool or everybody knows his, he's like norm. Everybody knew his name. He knew what drink to give him like right away. Um, you know, you mentioned coats. And so I sort of have, my next question is the physical damage. Some of these guys uh, suffer through and suffer through now is gut wrenching at times, but the psychological aspects of this. And I think when, you know, we traded some notes before we, this interview today, the one that really hit me, and I, I'll admit right now, uh, you know, I didn't know a heck of a lot about him. I mean, I knew Jackie Smith was a Hall of Fame tight end. Yeah. He played 18 years with the St. Louis Cardinals at a time when the Cardinals, you know, were not a big national team. He has an incredible 18-year career. He retires. Um, he gets a call from Tom Landry in the late 70s, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, late 70s Cowboys, America's team, to join them because they're a little shorthanded. And what a shot. And he finally is on a team that's a Super Bowl contender, gets the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 13. I'm a, and I'm a, I'll admit I'm a huge Cowboys fan. I'm, I was one of those little Roger Staubach kids back in the late 70s. But I don't remember the third Super Bowl 13 a little before my time. So my impression of Jackie Smith is not that he was one of the greatest, like one of the first real tremendous tight ends of the sports ever seen. It's that that pass that he dropped in Super Bowl 13. And, you know, Vern Lundquist, oh, he's got to be the sickest man in the world. You've seen that call a million times if you're a football fan on NFL Network or wherever. And I credit you as a writer because you sat down, you spent a lot of time with him, obviously, in St. Louis. And I believe it was St. Louis, correct? Um, and, you know, he, you basically, he, the impact of that drop, how it affected him, and how you got him to finally talk about that, I thought was tremendous. So uh, just what was that like? That was a great example of what the emotional impact can these guys go through. I, I appreciate it. It, it. Yeah, it blew my mind that the the impact from that, that play, that 5.5 seconds, it, 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 it lasts decades. I, I thought that maybe this was something that he was able to get over – at some point, maybe he sat down with a therapist. Maybe he talked to, to family and had hard conversations. Maybe he did a documentary or, you know, there's all these cathartic ways. I think somebody can move on from a moment that has defined them for all of the wrong reasons. And I, he kind of admitted that it, it, he never really did any of that, right? He, he had all these different businesses. He had all these different jobs, but he let it affect his relationships with 
his loved ones. And I think that's what brought a tear to his eye when we're, we're hanging out is, man, like, wh- why did I allow uh, my darkest moment, this these 5.5 seconds, this blip in time to affect the whole reason I played football? He doesn't regret a thing, right? He doesn't regret the game, the drop, the, you know, he, he loved football. He even called that the most rewarding season of his career with the Dallas Cowboys. And he, he's so glad he went, even though the, the team doctor, right? It was a 15 minute long physical after his neck injury that he thought could leave him paralyzed because the doctor had to get a cattle off to auction. He found out after the, oh my <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it hurt. I mean, you can see the pain in his, in his eyes. Like it, it was, it was real. And I didn't want to just dive right into a topic like that. You don't sit down, order a beer and say, Hey, let's talk about the worst moment of your life. And what everybody thinks of when they hear Jackie Smith, like, no, his, his story is unbelievable. And I hope that this book does explain to people just how special Jackie Smith was and where he came from Kentwood, Louisiana, not even much of a football player at all in high school and college. He it's crazy. He was even drafted, but his work ethic and, and, and how he did transform the position, making plays downfield. It's, it's unbelievable, let alone the toughness. He's, you know, r- right there with the toughest players of his era mm. um, running onto the field when somebody takes out a teammate in his street clothes and you know, remembering that Washington Redskin number and thinking he might get his revenge when he finds out a player moved into his mom's neighborhood. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's tough. But I think, yeah, that's the takeaways. How, how did he handle uh, 5.5 seconds of his life? I can't imagine any of us being judged to that extreme for such – such a sliver in time when it, as we kind of break down, it, it, it really wasn't his fault. There were a lot of other variables right. in that play. A lot of things went wrong. I think he's in a good place. It took until he was 79, 80 years old. He's 82 now, but he finally was able to, to, to look himself in the mirror in his words and say, you stupid SOB, like, what are you doing? Don't mm-hmm. let this affect you to this extreme. Come on, get out of it. You have, you have too many people who love you, who depend on you. Go. You talk to a lot of guys who have some physical and mental issues, obviously, after playing. I, I got a chance to talk to Tony Dorsett, uh, part of the Walter Camp Football Foundation here in New Haven. He comes back every year. He's gone through some really tough stuff. He can't be left alone. He can't drive. But he always says the same thing. I don't regret any of it. I would do it all over again. Did you find a lot of that with some of the guys you talked to, despite what they're going through now, that they wouldn't change a thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah Crazy, that's a short answer. It's, And I think it – for, for us on the outside looking in, it, it, it might blow our minds like to see somebody who has cognitive issues or, or extreme physical issues and, and think, what God, why, if you could do it all over again, of course you'd do something else. Like, of course you would just choose a different, different profession. Like Mike Dicka thought he was going to be a dentist, uh, yep. right? Like <laughs> Jackie Smith, like just wanted to run track in college and just see where it goes. You know, he had the love of his life with him and, you know, maybe he, he just would have been, living out in the country somewhere in Louisiana, working like his dad did. I, but they all to a man would do it all over again for whatever reason. It just, the, the friendships, the camaraderie. Um, I think football really is, uh, it's, it's a drug and you just cannot get enough of it. It's, it's, that's why so many guys just struggle to adjust to life when they're done playing. It's, it's intoxicating and you just, there, there's something about the game that, I don't think other sports necessarily have, because if you, if you're on the field and you screw up your job, you might get your buddy just lit up. You might get yourself injured. There's a, there's a brotherhood there. I hate using war analogies because nothing's like war at all, 
But there is something to a, a similar brotherhood where you're going through something. You're going through some shit that only you guys can relate to and really know what you went through in that locker room. That Guys wouldn't trade that for the world. Like if they could bottle that up and sip it the rest of their lives, they would. Hey, that's why so many guys just stay in the game, coaching, scouting, broadcasting. They got to be around it. And so I think, it, you know, that's a big reason that players don't regret a thing. I mean, there isn't one tight end I talked to going through something that regrets anything. And then Ben Coates, you know, he's hurting just as much as any tight end from the 90s, still has his whole life to live. You know, he got into coaching and had to get out of coaching because all of the standing, it just hurt his back so much. He just couldn't do it. Um, he said he would do it again because the camaraderie, number one, you know, the, the relationships, but he got a Super Bowl ring. I mean, he pushed himself to the absolute limit his entire career to chase a ring. I mean, they're talking about a tight end who not only was Drew or Drew Bledsoe's go-to guy in every situation, um, but he's blocking Lawrence Taylor, Reggie White, Bruce Smith, one-on-one, you know, no backside blocks. It's front side. Uh, to get that ring at the tail end with the Baltimore Ravens, you can see how much that meant to him. That was validation for, for everything. I mean, he missed two games because his mother died because it had a high ankle sprain that keeps guys out months. And that, he missed, the, it, he he missed one games. game with the high ankle sprain. Right. One game. Wow. You know, uh, I know we just have a few more minutes left here, but I, you brought up coats, but I, I know you, you talked to Bill Parcells and I think Parcells is kind of interesting because I don't know if he's a tight end group, but he, co- you know, he coached Bavaro, who, you know, was he, we're in Giants country up here, you know, was still beloved by Giants fans. He, and he obviously coached Coates and later in his career coached Jason Witten. Did he mention anything sort of a common denominator as to what makes these guys tick or if he recognized something in that position that was unique? You're right. It is such a, it's really a small group of coaches that innovated the position because it was, nobody could really wrap their heads around the tight end and all the the capabilities that this player could have because you're involved with everything. Bill Parcells is right there with Bill Belichick, Sean Payton. Um, If you want to go back to the Luke Johnsos, the Bears OC for Ditka, Don Coriel, obviously. With Kellen Winchell, Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, even Sam Bertigliano, the Browns coach. Oh, yeah. Ozzie Newsom is a tight Newsom. end. I mean, he's a, he's a split end in Alabama. And they said, yeah, um, you're a tight end now. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned the coaches, but that still happens. It's at least, you know, I don't know if it still happens today, but as you point out in the book with Gonzalez when he went to uh, not Milwaukee, when he went to Atlanta, there's still sometimes that clashes where coaches have a preset idea of this is what tight ends do and they have to do this in order to do that. So I thought that was interesting too, like the, the evolution of, of the tight end is still going on, even if some people within even the highest realm of football, the NFL, haven't caught up to it yet. I thought that was kind of fascinating. Yeah. And I think Mike Malarkey, as the, the Falcons OC, is that was the norm. I think a lot of guys, when they viewed a lot of coaches in the NFL, when they're looking at the tight end position, that's that's how they viewed it. You need to be in line blocking. It was hard to wrap their heads around uh, Gonzalez, an athletic specimen, doing crazy crazy stuff down the field. You know, here, here's a six, a six, four, six, five yeah. undersized, severely undersized basketball player, but on a football field, I mean, he's, he's overwhelming corners and safeties and linebackers. And he's got that muscle memory to win in the paint against taller basketball players. You put that at tight end, he, he you know, he evolved the position like nobody else at the turn of the century. So uh, yeah, I think that was probably the majority of coaches were thinking like malarkey where no, you need to be in tight, blocking and it took Gonzalez just forcing the league's hand. No, like 
he's too good. <laughs> Whatever you think you're doing as a coach and however yeah. you think offensive football should be played, change that thinking because you've got an all-time great in Gonzalez and then Antonio Gates, Jimmy Graham, um, Gronk to today. I mean, Kittle, Kelsey, Kyle Pitts. It's not now if you don't have an athletic tight end, you're you're you're, you're SOL. Like you're you're probably not going to be winning a lot of games. You need a matchup nightmare who can make that play downfield. All right, we got a book about all the greatest tight ends in the history of the NFL. You've been covering the NFL for a long time. Let's put you on the spot. Who's the greatest tight end in the history of professional football? You can make that case for, for Tony Gonzalez. The, mm. the numbers are there. His um, historical significance is there because of you know, how the position was viewed before he was drafted to how he left the position. It's it's unbelievable because I think it transcends tight end. I mean, you look at any position. You If you're a coach, you should take the gifts of your player and make that central to your, your scheme. You know, you don't you don't just take the scheme and fit it to a player. You know, accentuate that player's gifts. That that's what Tony Gonzalez wish he had his whole career, which he didn't really have. <laughs> he was always playing within a system, a scheme, and still getting his. But it's Rob Gronkowski. Rob mm. Gronkowski's the greatest. You know, he's. I, I mean, we could spend an hour on Rob. Where I, I think there's the authenticity factor, the fact that he lived like there's no tomorrow and, and, and partied his ass off and at the time of his yep. life and, and, his and his family and know, all that. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's the Gronkowski but brothers. As a Patriot yep. for, for Belichick, you know, this yeah. do your job mantra where we think, you know, you can't have fun in football and it's militaristic and it's head down account. There's a lot of good that comes with the Patriot way, but it was important for for uh, Rob Gronkowski to remind everybody to be yourself. It's okay. Like you can have fun in a sport, let alone the fact that nobody was as physically, nobody was as physically dominating as Rob Gronkowski in the run game down the field in the past game. That's it was blocking. We've yeah. got all the stories in the book where he, he, I mean, he just obliterated everything in his past and in his path. And it was like another Sunday to him. It was just any old Tuesday, any old Wednesday. He doesn't remember Alfonso Jackson's career basically ending when Jackson tried to drill him down the field. And Sergio Brown to this day is livid that he didn't just like declare all out war on Rob Gronkowski when Rob kicked him out of the club on Sunday night football. Um, But that's, that's Gronk. It's like, he just, he just leaves a trail of bodies in his path run game pass pass game. We've never seen anything like it. I don't think hey, we ever will. Not to that extreme. No, I, I sort of, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I, I thought this, I, I thought that for a while about him. And I, you know, I, I sort of, we mentioned some of the guys hanging on, you know, for a while, cause they don't know what else to do. I sort of hope because I had that image, of, I'm not a Patriot fan, but that I had that image of Gronk just being a dominating player, like just Gronk stay retired, dude. I don't want to see you at 35 <laughs> playing for, you know, the lions. Uh, so that uh, I know we got to wrap up. I have another question. I'm going to put you on Eric, put you on the spot. Now I want to put you on the spot. This book's a huge, hope this book is a huge success. So success in a couple of years, like say five years from now, you get an update, a new version, an updated version of blood and of the blood and guts. There's a new chapter. What three, four, five tight ends are in that new chapter that are playing today that are among, among the all-time greats? Now, are there three, four, or five that you think will will measure up to that, you know, that that standard? I love that question because I'm I'm hoping we get to that point, right? Like right. a few years from now, let's get a second edition going. Yeah, out. maybe there's some guy in college <laughs> we don't even know about yet. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I know he's having a a bad year statistically, and I think it might have a lot to do with the offense, with the quarterback play, not necessarily his doing, but 
I, I think Kyle Pitts will be in yeah. that conversation. Like he, the, the fact that he can just roast a cornerback one-on-one out wide, it's his speed, his athleticism, his, his size is stuff we've never seen before where, I mean, he runs in the four fours. Um, he's bigger than people think he's 250. He's got a big lower body and he can still put on a little poundage to his upper body, which he's, he's working on. I think he is a willing blocker. Like he's never going to be dominant, but I think he's going to get better in that department. He's, he's a hard worker. I mean, this isn't a prima donna wide receiver. This is somebody who with a dad, I mean, we just talked last week about his dad and just the, the, the work ethic that he instilled in him and, and how he's diligently trying to work on this part of his game where it's statistically, he might not be making a lot of plays so far this year, but I, he's not even mentioning it behind the scenes. He hasn't brought it up to his coach. I, I think that he genuinely is, playing for the right reasons and that that stuff will come around. Um, he's, he's in that conversation just because physically and athletically there's never been anything like Kyle Pitts. Yeah. Gosh, beyond him. I mean, Mark Andrews for sure. I mean, Lamar Jackson is going to him yeah. all the time. You know, it's like, that's the security blanket guy. They talk about all the time. That's it. I mean, you know, and I, I, I mean, we are still, you know, we have Kelsey, which is who's obviously going to be up there and, you know, Oh yeah. You mentioned George Kittle in the book. I love Kittle, you know, one of those Iowa tight ends, you know. Uh, so it was – that's why I asked the question, like, do you have that same feeling? Like, okay, we're, this isn't like – this is going to continue. This these dudes coming along the next few years. We're going to be enjoy watching. That's why it's present tense, right? right. Why they save yeah. football. It's, it's still being saved. And, hey, throw Dawson Knox in there. I, I think that Dawson mm-hmm. Knox and, and Josh Allen have the sort of relationship that um, like Peyton Manning and Dallas Clark had – where, I mean, Drew Bledsoe, Ben Coates, uh, Tom Brady, Gronk to the extreme, Breeze, Jimmy Graham. Like, they're, they, it, it's something special on the field, off the field. He goes to him in crunch time. That That's who he threw to for the game-winning touchdown against Kansas City last week. Right. I think that that relationship alone could, you know, produce some historic numbers for Dawson Knox, at least here in Buffalo, where, you know, they don't have a tight end in, the, in this book. But second edition, I think Dawson Knox will be in there. There you go. Listen, it's a great read. We hope you sell a million of them. Tyler John, thanks for joining us today and uh, look to talk to you again real soon. Second edition. Keep your, we'll keep our eyes on it, all right? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, love the conversation, guys. Thank, thanks so much for having me uh, any day, any time. Always in. Oh, once again, Brian, you come through with a big time interview. Uh, Tyler Dunn, again, folks, we could have done another 25 minutes. We kept it for about 25 as it was, but. Uh, he talked to everyone. The Ditka stuff is great. Tony Gonzalez. And the thing is, coming out of pandemic, what you asked him, I mean, he went to see these guys. Brian, and as he yeah. said, that's how you get the real good stuff. To yeah, see you it. know, right. He, you know, he didn't do Zoom. Not, you know, he made the commitment to try and go talk to these guys. And if you read the book, and he shared a little bit with us, seeing these guys and meeting them in person was, there's no substitute for that, particularly with some of these players soon and their life after football and uh it's, it's it's amazing stuff really yeah we're gonna take a time out when we come back we'll we'll talk about the uh the unfortunate recency bias that tyler dunn had <laughs> okay i'm kidding all right we'll take a time out we'll come back and we'll wrap it up all right before we wrap it up let's talk about instacart we're taping this on the week before halloween so folks if you got a little bit of halloween shopping to do get some candy last minute candy but you don't feel like leaving the house just go to instacart.com and if you want to really save some money not just halloween time but all year round check out the new instacart plus program for 9.99 a month or 99 dollars a year a membership can pay membership can pay for itself here's how new family accounts and family carts instacart plus members 
share all their benefits with another family member for free. And that means households can add items to a share cart and shop together. We love that. Free delivery and orders of uh, excess of 35 bucks. So anything more than 35 bucks, free delivery for you. Reduce service fees and extra perks from top brands like mileage bonus points from Delta Airlines with every dollar spent and some exclusive benefits for Chase card members. So remember, whether it's Halloween shopping or just general shopping, shop and save with Instacart Plus. And remember to go to Instacart.com. All right, Brian. So he was telling us that, you know, he had some, you know, the stay and age where, you know, the recency bias. Rob Gronkowski, greatest tight end of all time. I, I don't know, but I'd have to think about it. I kind of mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting that answer. I mean, right away, I'm going to think of the John Mackey's, Owen Winslow's. Uh, I mean, even Travis Kelsey's talking about recency bias. I don't know if anyone right. will be better than him once his career wraps up. But he was something to think about. And Gronk does personify the tight end on and off the field. Yeah, no, I kind of like I, I I kind of felt that way. I agreed with him. I didn't think it was like a crazy crazy answer, but you you when you mentioned like about some of the old guys, like the guys that were sort of before our times, you do remember that John Mackey was for his day and age incredible. Mickey Schuler with the Jets. Mickey, <laughs> Mickey no Mickey Schuler in the, in the book, hard to believe. And even Bavaro. I mean, we touched on it a little bit in the interview with Bavaro. I mean, he was you know Bavaro, unbelievable yeah, Bavaro story in there. By the way. Yeah, it's great. I'm not. We're we're not gonna. We're gonna tease it. We're, I mean, we're not gonna share it. Buy the book. It's worth it, especially if you're a Bavaro fan. But yeah, it was just you could. You could, that's one of those like sports arguments you could have for hours. Like, who's your best tight end? Who's your favorite tight end? It was a lot of fun. Yeah, go to Amazon.com if you want. Also, there's a Kindle uh, version of it as well. But listen, if you're a football fan, Christmas is coming. To hell, there you go. Halloween present. I mean, Brian would love this for Halloween. You know what I mean? Let's I would go. love anything for a Halloween present. Yeah. But yeah, definitely great, great uh, holiday gift idea. Tyler Dunn, The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. Excellent, excellent stuff. But thanks for putting it together, Brian. I hope our uh, listeners out there. I hope they do. I think they will. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the EDBC Podcast. I'm Eric. He's Brian. Till the next time. Thank you. See ya.